Hey everybody and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay and we are getting into Luke chapter number 3 today. Really exciting subject to begin with. I don't think we'll get past today. It is the baptism of Jesus, the conversation of John the Baptist with those who would come to him uh, seeking baptism only to discover that John isn't in the business of just putting anybody under for the for the sake of numbers. <laughs> John wasn't interested in, in, in gathering large crowds or in, in, in becoming a mega movement. John was looking for a very specific type of people, a people who with broken heart would come into his presence having repented of their sins, acknowledged their evil and desiring God's transformation in their soul. And so we'll find out uh, the difference between those who are religious and play in church and those who actually receive church in their heart by God here today at the Preacher's Corner. So stick around with us. A couple of uh, prayer requests that are to be lifted up today. One is that uh, our brother Gene Suggs is is not feeling well. We want to keep him lifted up. Praise God. He, he comes around a new year. Uh, get, getting ready for his 80th birthday, praise God! But but uh, we want to keep him lifted up because he's he's not feeling very well today. Uh, also, we want to keep Jeff Suggs lifted up. We want to keep Cheryl Lacey lifted up, and her cousin Mike Heldreth, uh, as I understand, is is at home, but he's he's they have to give him morphine now, and and he's just. It's not looking good. So we just want to pray for for Sheila, that is Mike's wife, and we, and we want to pray for the family during this period of time that they're going through. We also want to continue to lift up Miss Joanne Brinkley, what a treasure it was to be able to uh, just share in her life and, and pray for God's blessing upon her scans that would have been done uh, yesterday or today, it's it's one and the other, and we just pray for her and ask for God's richest blessings to be upon her. And so let us just thank the Lord for the blessing of this day and for the gifts, the many gifts that He has given us. Father, the greatest gift that you could ever give us is life. And for the length of our years to this point, Lord, we give you praise for your great mercy and for your your powerful love that is that has overshadowed us in in these days lord even in the times where we didn't know you you knew us quite well you created us you formed us in our mother's wombs lord you have a very special plan for us there's no question about it in fact you've got a a very special plan for every single soul that you have allowed to come into the world and so, Lord, we pray that, that we would continue seeking your word, seeking your face, seeking to know and understand that which you have prepared for us, that we may be a, your servants and be of your service, a people in Christ Jesus who have put on the new man and are prepared to serve the Lord. God bless it. We'll give you thanks for it in Jesus' name this day. Amen.
All right, guys, here we are in Luke chapter number three. We're going to begin in verse number one. We're going to work our way down to verse number 22 in reading today. A lot of amazing content, so so we're going to have to move fast, but praise God, it, it's going to work out today. It says, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the region of Traconitus and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, as a side note, keep in mind, this John is the same John that was born six months before Jesus, which is a cousin of Jesus's. And was this Zechariah is he who was made mute and unable to speak until such a time as John was born because the angel said that he wouldn't be able to speak. So this is the John we're dealing with here in Luke chapter 3. In verse 3, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God, which by the way, is exactly what happened when Simeon held Jesus in his hands on the eighth day when he was coming to his circumcision, that, that Simeon would raise him up and say, Mine eyes have seen the salvation of God. And so all flesh shall see the salvation of God. In verse 7, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the, uh, the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? And he answered and said unto them, He that has two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that has meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans and, and to be baptized of him, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than what is that which is appointed to you. And the soldiers came likewise and demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do no violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them, unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I comes, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with, with the Holy Ghost 
and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached John unto the people, but Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut John up in prison. And when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also, being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. There's a lot of powerful realities. I think it interesting that, that Luke, and it seems this way to me, though it may not be the case, but it does seem this way to me, that, that Luke is, is a gospel that you're going to discover that is filled with so much detail. I mean, way more information and detail than you'll ever get out of the book of Mark. And that's really exciting because what we find is, is that Luke is making the connections of of historical document. He's calling into pass all of these different leaders during that period of time. He's calling into pass all of these different locations in that period of time. I mean, bringing out from the, the issue of Herod, bringing out the idea of, of a transgression of, of an affair that would take place in adultery with Herodias and his brother Philip's wife. And I mean, the whole nine yards is pretty amazing. But then it seems, whereas Matthew acknowledging the king, Jesus, that Matthew goes into much more detail concerning the baptism of Jesus, concerning the conversation between Jesus and John the Baptist. This is also found over in Matthew chapter number 3, going into chapter 4. And and he's just so much, Matthew-wise, is so much more detailed about the baptism of Jesus, whereas Luke, it seems he, he went, oh yeah, one more thing, Jesus met John and he got baptized. So, let's go on. <laughs> right here at verse number 21, you'll find where whereas Luke would get to the point where he would explain everything about John's life, even up to the point of where he would be arrested. And of course, Jesus, uh, John, as revealed in the Gospel of Matthew, would go into detail about the arrest of John and the issues of John and actually the beheading of John, which we may find in Luke 4. But it's just interesting to me that when we get to this place at verse 20, where we meet the friction between Herodias, well, Herodias is who wants John's head on a silver platter, but when we get to Herod and we get to John the Baptist and we get to the arrest that it takes place at verse number 20, we then digress from that arrest to a time earlier than his arrest to where Jesus comes and meets with John. And it, and it backs us up. It says in verse 21, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized. So we got to, he, he brings John into the jailhouse and then goes, Oh, 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 wait a minute. I got to back you up and <laughs> I got to bring Jesus into the picture here. <laughs> and so he backs up in these, these two verses right here. 
But he brings out something in verse number 22 that John, uh, that rather Matthew actually embellishes on a great deal as well. And it's the, the conversation of God, the Father, to all who are present at the baptism of Jesus. And so he, he talks about it. He says, Jesus also being baptized and praying. Now, th- this is exciting stuff right here is because Jesus obeys the will of his Father. There's no question about it. He knows who his Father is by this point of time. He's 30 years of age. He, he is entering his role as a priest. He's entering his role in the priesthood, which is interesting because uh, the, the priesthood has been so diluted. It's been so uh, bastardized. Is, a, is no other way to be able to say it. It's, it's been so corrupted that earlier in Luke chapter 3, you see that there's not one high priest like has always been from the time of Aaron all the way down through the silent years before Jesus' birth. But now, this society has grown to such a level of corruption that the Hebrew society had grown to such a level of corruption because of the, the lavishness of the Roman society that it's, that it's melted itself into instead of listening to Paul, of course, Paul's one of the bad guys at this period of time. I get that. But Paul would say as the scripture in in the Torah or the the books of the law in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, he would say, come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. He would charge them not to become intermingled in fellowship with the lost of the world and of the desires of the flesh, but to come away from all of that and separate yourselves unto a position of holiness before God and serving the Lord in righteousness. And so we find that we've got this situation where we're you're in a world that that Jesus enters into, and and as he is obedient to his Father, the world around him hates him because he's exposing them, and that's what light does. Light exposes darkness, and so oftentimes you're going to have people, especially if you're trying your best, uh, understanding the the sinful nature of the flesh. But if you're trying your best to live for God, you're trying your best to to love others as God has commanded you to, and, and you're sharing the gospel with people, and you're, you're doing your best not to, to get into those sinful situations that you so easily would have dove into before your salvation, uh, the people around you are going to start being irritated by you. They're going to be, they're, they're going to start feeling like you're judging them or condemning them because you're choosing to live a different way. And you may be encouraging them to come with you in the path you now have chosen to live a different way because you love them and you recognize that the choices that you were making while with them were leading you to a position of ultimately death. And so recognizing that you need to go a different way is to look back in, in your life to see those who are going the way that you, you know you needed to turn from. And so you go to them with the love of God and you go to them because of the call of God and you share with them and you want them to have th- this difference. But because you're now bringing the light of the gospel into their life of darkness and they're becoming they're beginning to see the reality of their choices and the end result of what it will bring they begin to 
to feel that they're being judged or they begin to feel that they're being 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 uh, mocked or or you're you're being mean to them when the reality is is that it it's that that heaviness of conviction that comes over them because one they don't want to give up the wickedness of the way that they're going they enjoy it that's why they're trying to pull you back into it they enjoy it and two they don't want to they they don't want to let go of it they know if they if they listen to you or if they become you if they follow you into Christ that that it's all going to change in them and they don't want it so they have to push you or repel you away from them the darkness has to repel the light it cannot remain in the presence of light anymore and so if you've gone through these situations and you've struggled with with losing what you believe to be friends or, or dealing with people that, that don't want to talk to you about this religion stuff and they don't want to hear about it anymore. They, they, they push you away. It, it, it's painful and, and it's difficult, but it don't let it get you down. Because the reality is, is that they're actually receiving for the first time real and true love. And they don't know how to respond to it. So they get angry about it because they think it's it's not the same kind of love, quote-unquote, that they're getting from the other friends they've got. It's not the same kind of love that the world has given to them. It's not the same kind of... Because the love that all of that other stuff gives to them is to feast upon the lust that they want to get into. But your love comes to them and, and it challenges that lust. Your love comes to them and, and it pushes that lust back. It says, no, there's another way. There's the living way. There's, you can be saved from all of this. And, and it's very confusing to a lost person. It's very hard for a saved person that, that gets back into the ways that, that they were when they were lost. And they don't want to give it up. But Jesus, he's a light that comes into the world and a light that shines in the darkness. But of course, the scripture reveals in John chapter number one that the darkness comprehended it not. And so he was rejected and despised of his own. And and so when he comes to, to this point in 21 and 22, it says that he was baptized. And, and as he prayed, the heavens opened. The Holy Ghost descended in in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, of course, understanding that that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost, and so all of the Holy Ghost that that is of God the Father and of the Son is contained inside the Son. And so in figure you have this this dove that la- lands upon Jesus but that's because he's in Jesus. And and the reality behind what I'm saying there is discovered from the Gospel of John, chapter 13 to 17. Jesus repeatedly says, it's necessary for me to die so that I can give you the Holy Spirit. Because at the point of Jesus's teaching, the fullness of the Spirit is locked up in Jesus. That is his life. That is his life presence. And, And so when Jesus releases himself from this flesh when he is what we consider to be dead he's then freed from the the prison of this mortality of this flesh to be able to go forth through the holy spirit and enter into the multitudes of believers even unto this day and so 
He says the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And that is so powerful, as, as God would acknowledge the Son. And the interesting thing is the voice that comes from heaven. Now, Luke, was he there? This is something that I couldn't actually answer. I don't really know. But Matthew, Matthew could have been there for certain. John, John could have been there for certain. Mark, he could have been there for certain. And so we find that in the connection of these people, as this voice is being revealed, you know, like Luke is recording these accounts that he'd already read uh, from Matthew, from Mark, and from from even potentially John as he's trying to pull all of this information together to be able to present to Theophilus uh, an account, a telling of Jesus's life. And so as it comes and is written, a voice came from heaven. As he's pulling that out, we, we've got testimonies of witnesses of two or three. As, as Matthew will testify the voice from heaven that comes from God, as John will testify the voice of heaven that comes from God, even of Mark that would testify the voice of heaven. As you recall, they went up into the Mount of Transfiguration and God spoke to both, both Peter and was Peter, James, and John that were in there with him. And God spoke to them and said, this is my son, hear him. And so we understand that that this voice is an audible voice, that the people heard it. It's been recorded, not just by Luke, but by many others that, that testify to the exact same details. Say, well, maybe they got all together and they said, well, this is what we're going to make them say. Each of them refer to it in a different manner as per the person but they reveal the same situation of the the heavens being opened and the voice of God speaking unto man. And so what a powerful reality we have when when we have out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, as the scripture says, this thing will be established, that God spoke to to whosoever could hear his voice at that period of time at the baptism of Jesus. God spoke, and the whole world had an opportunity to hear. but they didn't. So I'll back you up to the very beginning of the chapter now, verse number one. The specific nature of which Luke writes gives us an opportunity to be able to pinpoint periods of time in, in actual history to be able to know exactly what's going on, not only with Jesus and with what's going to come to pass with Jesus, but also what's happening in the world events around Jesus and in the kingdom of Rome at the times, we could kind of glean from from a great rich history that was surround the Bible. It says specifically in the fifteenth year of Tiberius, who is Caesar, he is emperor of Rome. It's his fifteenth year in service. Pontius Pilate, we remember that fella. He's coming on the scene. He's going to be recognized governor of Judea, and of course he's also going to be the man in Jerusalem who is going to deal with Jesus in in three years to pass, to, to deal with him. So we have Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. 
We have Herod. Okay, so this is not the same as King Herod who was over Jerusalem. This this would be uh, uh, in the lineage of, of Herod's family. But of course, Jesus' birth, we saw Herod the king. He dies. We see Archelaus, his son, ruling in his place. And so by the period of time that Jesus reaches 30 years of age, we've had much changeover from, from leaders from Jerusalem all the way up to the northern ends and and this Herod will be considered a tetrarch of Galilee which is really exciting because that's where Jesus is coming down from uh, to to receive of the baptism that would be done by John the Baptist as he's living in the southern parts of the kingdom near Jerusalem and so Herod has moved from or his lineage I should say has moved from being kings and rulers over Jerusalem to a tetrarch which is a kind of like a state governor. So we have a president, which would be recognized as Tiberius Caesar here, and then we have uh, Pontius Pilate being recognized as a governor, which essentially would be higher than a tetrarch. It would be like the king, uh, like King Herod was, a king under a king as, or should I say, rather, a king under an emperor. So Tiberius recognized the emperor, Pontius Pilate would be recognized as being called governor here, but more of a king over Jerusalem in the place of what Herod used to be. And Herod, which would be like Herod the third or fourth at this point of time, would be moved to what we consider a modern day governor over a state, would be moved as a tetrarch over, over Galilee. And his brother Philip would be recognized as a governor over Iteria in the region of Traconitus and Lysanias, which is Tetrarch over Abilene. And so we've got these, these characters, both Herod and Philip and Lysanias. And we've got these gentlemen, and they are actual characters that we can get into, dig up historical evidences and, and, and documents to know who these guys were, where these guys were, what these guys were like, what they were doing. But the scripture does indeed paint a perfect picture of them, especially between Herod and Philip. And so it gets down into verse number two. It says, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests. Okay, so I'd made mention of this a little bit earlier to, in our conversation that since the priesthood under the law by Aaron began by God uh, and Moses on the mountain there at, at Sinai, we, we understand that, that there is to be one high priest. Now, as as Aaron was high priest, his sons, of course, and we, we also get in the sons of Levi at this point, we start looking at these different sons, were priests. They weren't high priests. They weren't equal to them. They, they were just priests. And, of course, one of them would certainly take on the role of high priest after the death of of Aaron, or likewise it would have been had they not been devoured by fire <laughs> because of offering strange fire in the temple or in the tabernacle. But you, in, in all the history from, from the time of the Exodus clear up to... 
the point of the, the middle books where you don't have God speaking to Israel for that length of time of 400 years between Malachi and Jesus crying in a manger there uh, beginning in Matthew, you, you have this situation of corruption that has reached to the internal religious sector to a point where you you have a form of godliness, but you're denying the very God that you're called to worship. You, you're, you're going through all of the right motions, you're going through all of the right processes and all of the right procedures and offerings and everything else, but you've completely nullified the presence of God for your own selves. And by this point, you have reached, in, in Luke, you've reached in the Roman kingdom even two men that weren't even qualified to be priests who were placed there by Rome because of their faithfulness to the emperor. And so Ananias, Annas rather, and Caiaphas are father-in-law and, and son-in-law, and they apparently come to a position where they're serving together as high priests. When there technically could only be one, now you'll find two. Apparently, they decided to come into two, and by the way, I'm being facetious here, but apparently they've decided to come into two so that they could get in their vacations. <laughs> I don't know, but nevertheless, unprecedented in all of of Israeli history, certainly you have the situation of two high priests. And the word of God came unto John, which is an interesting situation in itself. Because remember that Zechariah was a priest. Now he wasn't a high priest, but he was of the priesthood. As words would go, you would consider Zechariah to be a Sadducee. He is of the priesthood recognized by the lots that were cast on him to go in and burn the the incense at the altar of incense when he discovered that he was going to have a child. And so here we have the Zechariah, which, which is a priest and, and faithfully serving God. We know that Zechariah is faithful. We know that Simeon would be faithful, but it's their leadership, Annas and Caiaphas, that was totally uh, not faithful at all. And so you've got John, the son of Zechariah. You've got him in the wilderness, the country all about Jordan. You've got him preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He's preaching this baptism. Now, this is this is where a lot of people get kind of confused because they, the idea here is they begin to put this concept of baptism as being a part of the necessity of their salvation. In other words, a, per, a, a person's confession in Christ and their 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 confession of sins is needed to be backed up by climbing into a water or having a sign of a cross done on their forehead. Of course, they call that sprinkling, but I don't see how you're getting sprinkled at all. You're just dipping your fingers in the water and doing the sign of a cross on a forehead. Or or as per se, uh, getting a, a water basin, a, a, a vase, and, and a person standing in a pool of water having a vase poured over their head as concerning the pouring method of of baptism as it was and so you you'll find that they they often folks that believe that baptism is necessary for salvation 
uh, or what is called baptismal regeneration, they, they come to these points and they say, well, John was preaching baptism. John was, was saying, you've got to have this in order to be right with God. You've got to come into this water. You've got to be baptized by me in order to be right with God. And that was what they equate to being the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What they fail to understand is the concept of baptism as as a whole. Baptism is is only a, a, an activity of immersion. Okay, it's it's being immersed in something. To be baptized with sorrow. Okay, but there's a lot of people who have a baptism of sorrow when they when they they have a loved one like right now. I mean, you you, you think about so many people that are around us that we're praying for who who are baptized by sorrow. They're baptized by by fear. They're baptized by pain. There, there's many ways in which we could use the word baptism in its in its actual form as recognizing that a person is is entirely soaked, entirely saturated, or immersed in in this position, in this feeling, in this struggle. That, that is what baptism recognizes. And so as he's preaching a baptism of repentance, he's he's calling a people to be immersed with a recognition of their sin and and the repentance is the the verb the activity of confessing or doing away with 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 sin it's it's an act of confession and admission of 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 being sinners and and John is calling them to be saturated by that i mean to be immersed by that understanding who we are as sinners so that we can come to the position of remission of sins. See, things can't be made right with God unless they're they're revealed. <laughs> a person's never going to be able to get right with God unless they're willing to to make confession of that which needs to be gotten right with God with, right? So if you're going to hide your sin and then try to act religious, it's never going to work. You're never going to last. It's going to fall apart on you. Why? Because you're you're living a lie and God won't let you live a lie. God will convict you to a point where you'll either be immersed, you'll either be baptized by repentance to a point where you you know in your soul you can't hide this anymore, you've just got to confess it, or you will get hardened in your heart, you will sear your conscience from hearing God's conviction, and you will separate yourself from, from that faith you believe or told everybody that you had. The reality is you did you did you never had it. This is where where some religious faiths believe that there is a loss of salvation because as a people separate themselves from God, they say, "Well, well, you, you can't possibly separate yourself from God if you've been baptized by repentance. You, you you've you've confessed your sins, and then of course you end up getting back into sin, and you're separating yourself from God, and then you're denying the very faith that that you believed in to begin with." Well, this is a situation where they say, well, you've lost your salvation. Well, needless to say, this is a situation where I would say you never had it. If you could so easily 
uh, throw aside this faith that you once proclaimed to have simply because you're angry with it because you you don't want to be convicted by it anymore, then the reality is, is you were walking the skirts of it and never entered into it, and you're not and never have been a child of God. By the way, you need to be saved. (laughs) Playing church just isn't going to cut it, guys. You need to be saved. Acting religious and showing up is not going to cut it. You need to be saved. You need to be baptized by this precious repentance so that that God can, can literally remit your sins. And God, this is the great thing about it. You could, you could come to Morgan's and you could come down to me and me and you, we can have a great conversation about repentance and you can you can do all of the steps. I know because I've done it three times before. <laughs> you could do all of the steps that are spoken to you about repenting of your sins and you can climb into that baptistry. You could, you could put on the show. You, you And it may be... Something that that you think, you know what, I mean, this is something I remember doing. It made me feel better, so I want to feel better again. So this is something I'm going to do, and I'm going to feel better. And you might feel better for a few months and then get totally bored with it, and then out the door you're gone again in a couple of months, three, six months, you're gone. And and you say, well, I just don't feel like it anymore. Well, I just don't, you know, whatever. I just, I'm not too sure I totally believe everything that I was saying, and I'm not sure now. You are lost, and you never have received the reality of Christ in your soul. You need to be saved. You say, well, pastor, now you're judging. You're right. <laughs> I am. But the reality of what you're telling me is a judgment against your own self in your in your conversation. I'm only actually revealing your own judgment against you. It's not my judgment, but your own judgment that you're making against yourself. You need to be saved. Because playing church ain't going to get you there. I've played in plenty of people's backyards, but when it came dinner time, I couldn't go eat with them because I wasn't theirs. I had to go home. Just playing in church ain't going to get you to heaven when the trumpet blows. You're going to have to go home because you're not a part of that family. Lest you actually get swallowed up by this baptism of repentance so that you may be able to confess your sins and have them remitted by the Father, that he may enter into you, seal you unto his his home. You can be an adopted child of God. That's what needs to happen. And it's revealed in verse number 4, as concerning the work of, of John, it says, written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Let's take a look at that. Hearing from Isaiah chapter number 40, the scripture in Isaiah chapter number 40, verses 3 to 5, it says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord 
has spoken it. I love it. It's found in Mark chapter number 1, verse 3, as we studied Mark. It's in Matthew chapter number 3, and verse number 3 is in John chapter number 1, and verse number 23. They all proclaim the, 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 the prophecy that is spoken of by Isaiah, and that's the beauty of it. But by the way, they all speak it in just a little bit different because this is Luke quoting the the scripture if if you've ever shared scripture with somebody and and as you spoke to them the scripture you you spoke to them the way that that you said it like you say uh, god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life of course there are words that i just said that are not word for word written in the scripture but the the very nature of that that scripture has come out in its fullness in in recognition and that's exactly what happened here in Luke he he quotes the the scripture as found in Isaiah 40 but of course he quotes it as Luke quotes it not exactly word for word as the way it was written in the Old Testament. And so that's pretty important to recognize that as as we share the gospel with people, we, we give them the word of God. We, we give them the word of God in, in the book, right? We carry the word with us. But if we don't have a Bible with us and we want to tell somebody the love of God for them and, and the Holy Spirit brings a scripture to our heart and we tell them, okay, this is found in the in the book of Isaiah, and I just want to tell you, the scripture basically says this, and and you summarize the scripture that you want to tell them. Uh, that's exactly what Luke has done here. Now he's gotten pretty close to word for word, but he isn't word for word because he's quoting this to Theophilus as he's sharing the gospel. Remember, everything that is being written here is is a testimony of Luke from all these other authors that he brings into his work to testify to Theophilus so that he may hear the gospel and have hope to be saved. And he comes down and, and he says, Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized, dealing with John, well, you know what? I can't do this right now. I'm at 43 minutes. I got to stop. <laughs> I promise 45 or less and I'm at 43. Got to stop. I'm going to pick up though tomorrow. This is such a thrilling situation and we'll move forward with this tomorrow, but I got to pick up at verse number seven tomorrow because guys, this is this is from verse seven down to verse number 10. Well, even farther, this is the reality of repentance. It's the reality of of false conversions. It's the reality of people playing church. It's the it. Oh, and John doesn't hold back on it. So I'm just going to have to give it to you tomorrow. I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger. So you got to come back. Hallelujah. Uh, but definitely we'll get into Luke chapter 3, verse number 7 and following tomorrow. And, and what a joy. Thank you for the time. I lose track of it because I love talking about the Word of God so much. Uh, but definitely we'll come together. Remember to pray for your brethren in, in the time of their needs. And let us ask God for His blessing. Father, we thank you. For this day, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for everything that you're doing and for what you have planned to do in the, in the future, that we may be a part of it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. And I'll see you tomorrow with the with the completion of part two in Luke chapter three. Take care.